When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, episode 43 of the Tactical Yanks podcast is here. We've got a lot of fun things to talk about today. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and of course, my co-host, Tact- uh, Filippo Silva from Tactical Manager TV. How you doing, man? Doing good. I'm happy we're keeping count, right, of episode 41, episode 42. Now we reach 43. We got to do something special for when we hit 50. Yeah, 50, we should bring like a bunch of people and have like a, a party or like a big debate or something, like a round table kind of a thing. That would be cool yeah, to do. That would be a cool one. 50. Bring Hopefully back some we old guests who've been on the pod before. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're definitely going to get to 100. I mean, we've done now consistently, it feels like a full year. Um, I mean, 52 episodes would technically be 52 weeks, but we're coming up on a year. So it's good. And, and guys, by the way, thanks to everybody who recently, uh, you know, got uh, left comments or reviews rated us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple podcasts. It really helps Google podcast stitcher because we're seeing growth. We're seeing more and more people tuning in. So the tactical Yanks podcast is growing and we're psyched. It's fun to do sort of a different, um, you know, medium rather than just YouTube videos. Yeah. And today's going to be a fun episode because we're going to talk about Luca De La Torre is Euro snob comments. He had Euro snob comments, but Let's break it down and talk about his comment and see what makes sense. What is he actually being a Eurosnob? Or he's right. We're going to go through it. It was quite controversial from a part of the fan base to to hear De La Torre say what he said. Uh, We're also going to talk about the VAR because apparently, again, it's a hot topic and some people seem to be very pissed off at the VAR lately. And me and Peter are going to discuss, is the VAR a good thing, a bad thing? What should improve? Should it leave? Should it stay with the sport? We'll talk about that. And I believe, last but not least, or before that, we're going to talk about Jesse Marsh to Southampton. Uh, it's not a deal that's confirmed. Uh, he is negotiating with them. Or, or I wouldn't say negotiating. It looks like this is what I was told. And guys, believe it or not, somehow I broke the news, Pete. Somehow. Somehow. But no. But anyhow, what happened with Jesse is Southampton reached out to him. And he had a meeting this Monday with them. And what I was told was they actually had an offer. 
it seemed like they the, there's some discussions in regards of the length of the contract. It's it's not clear also if Jesse Marsh wants the job right now. He could be waiting for the U.S. men's national team. But the interest is real, and it looks like the offer is also real. So we're going to discuss that. If it, Let's say it happens. Maybe by the time people are listening to this, maybe already it did happen. But we're going to talk about yeah. what to expect, if it's a good move for Jesse or not, and blah, blah, blah. But Pete, um, Luca De La Torre's comments, do you have the article? Do you want to read it? Do you want me to read some of the comments? I have um, some of his comments throughout the article, but I don't have exactly the comments about promotion and relegation here. Do I you have, have those? Yeah. You want to read those first and then we can discuss that and then we'll move on to his other comments because it wasn't just that. He had a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah. So what Luca De La Torre said in this specific one, and I'll go through the entire thing. He said, the best thing about European football is promotion and relegation in that every single game matters. It's life or death. The A final, uh, sorry, life or death, a final. And there is a lot of pressure. In MLS, being closed, that doesn't happen. For me, they are almost two different sports. That is the crazy part that really triggered. Well, first, when he says promotion relegation, that already triggers um, part of yeah. the MLS fan base. Not all of them. There's a lot of people that are open to it. But when he says they're two different sports, what did you think of that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, exactly what he means by two different sports is interesting because it could mean one is more like it matters and one is more just kind of entertainment, right? Which let's be honest, when you don't have promotion relegation, when you don't have real consequences for failure, when 18 out of 29 teams make the playoffs, it can kind of feel, which by the way, it was being reported by Paul Tenorio and Sam Stagecall that MLS is considering moving the playoffs to 18 out of 29 teams here, okay, this year in, in MLS. That means over 62% of the teams make the playoffs, which essentially makes the regular season kind of just entertainment, right? you're almost guaranteed to make the playoffs in your conference, right? Because maybe the bottom four. You have to really suck to not make it. You have you to have really. To, you, it's almost harder to not make the playoffs, right? Like if you just send a good team out and tell them to like play hard every week, you might just get enough points to make the playoffs. Like this whole idea that it's a different sport. I think what he's trying to say, and of course I don't know his mind, but I think what he's trying to say is in one, you play soccer and it's fun and it's entertainment. And then hopefully you make the playoffs. But if you don't, no big deal. You can try again next season. So it's more like a, not a rec league. That's too far to say, but it's more entertainment and just a fun game that people can go watch as opposed to something where it really, really matters. And there are major, major consequences that every moment in every game matters, you know, as opposed to. You can be bad all season long and then have a good six, seven games at the end of the season, and then boom, you're in the playoffs. So my guess is that's kind of what he's trying to say, but what are your take? What's your take on it? Yeah, it's very hard for me to understand what he meant about a different sport. I think that aspect, even though me and you, we get labeled Euro snobs by some people, I do think that part of saying it's a two different sports, it sounds a bit harsh, right? It sounds a bit too far. Uh but because it's just a different league structure. But I do understand where he's going with it as someone that I'm a big fan of a league that has promotion. Relegation. I live I, I live every day a league that has that, the Brazilian league, right? And I've lived through it in Brazil. It, it's different. It hits you different with it, right? Um, there's There's consequences to every loss depending on where your team is. And of course, if you are in the Premier League and you are a Manchester City fan right now, 
you're not going to experience that pressure of promotion relegation because your team overspends. And I do want to talk about that because I know it's something we discussed because they think promotion relegation is what you see in Europe of these super teams are the consequence of promotion relegation, which is simply not true. It's, It's false. It's a fake narrative. And it's a disgrace that people even say that because the truth is Major League Soccer could have a lot of issues with parity if they just remove the salary cap. There'll be one team like LAFC that'll have five times the budget of a FC Cincinnati. And all of a sudden you have a super team without promotion relegation. And they'll probably win every other year, maybe every year. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, another reason MLS also has parity um, or, or has alternating teams winning it is because we decide the MLS Cup winner on a playoff system. Right, Bayern Munich doesn't win the DFB Pokal every season. Actually, they lose it a lot because it's playoffs. And right. playoffs, right, things can happen. So promotion relegation is not really people tend to get the bad things of the leagues in Europe and try to point it to promotion relegation, which is simply not true. Now, in regards to Delatore's comments, I understand what he's saying. I think it's a bit too harsh. I don't think it's a different sport. I think it is the same sport. I do think MLS is competitive from a technical standpoint and a, a ability standpoint, but it does lack intensity. And, and as someone that attends a lot of MLS games in different locations in the United States and has attended games in different countries, mostly in Brazil, obviously, and I'm actually going to the Mexico game this weekend too, the level of intensity is quite noticeable. And we've seen that with certain players. And I think you want to talk about that because you mentioned it to me before the podcast, how some players go to a league like the Scottish League, which in both of our opinions, it's a league that from a technical standpoint, it's worse than Major League Soccer. They have worse players. But why certain players that are successful in MLS, which we can name a few, why do they struggle in Scotland? They were dominant in MLS. They were good players in MLS. And they go to Scotland, and they just don't get it going. Yeah, but first I want to go back to something else you said and, and just kind of clarify, because we talked about this is one of the arguments that I hear against promotion relegation in MLS is, of course, there are many arguments. But this one I hear the most is, if you have promotion relegation, you're going to have super clubs, right? And you said that's not true. The reason you have super clubs in Europe is because of unregulated spending, right? Billionaires can walk in, buy a team, throw hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars at them, and just make them better than everybody else. Is that a jab on Chelsea now? Chelsea, Manchester City, <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain. You know, because you said billion. I'm like, that's Chelsea. They're hitting there this season. They're getting there. Yeah, but even Man City over the last 20 years, maybe yeah. not 20, but 10 years, has spent billions on players. Billions, yeah. okay? So- Here's my thing. I think a salary cap is actually something that MLS has that I think would be good for Europe to adopt. Nowhere near the salary cap MLS has, but some kind of cap to prevent this from happening where, yeah, you you are having teams that can spend ridiculous amounts of money and it's insane. I actually think a salary cap prevents super clubs. That has nothing to do with promotion relegation, right? If you kept the salary cap in MLS right? Maybe made it bigger. Let's say you put, you got rid of all the roster rules, right? The GAM, the TAM, the homegrown rules, the under 22 initiative. Oh, homegrown you can keep. Homegrown is fine. I mean, homegrown territories I'm talking about. I like the homegrown rule where they don't count against your cap for the first two years, but the homegrown territories, for example. The territorial rights, yeah. Okay. Or an allocation disorder, a discovery rights, all these rules, get rid of those, put the salary cap at 25 or 30 million, Okay, and just say you could spend that however you want. If you want to spend two thirds of it on three DPs, 
the old way, do that. That's your club. That's your decision. If you think that's what's best for your club, do it. But then a lot of clubs, I, I imagine most with competent front offices, will actually distribute quality throughout their roster, certainly throughout their starting 11 in a much more even way, which will create better quality on the field. So you could still have a salary cap, but you could also have promotion relegation, right? So it means you have to be smart about how you spend your money. You have to be good at recruitment. You Heck, you have to be good at development because it would actually incentivize development. Because if your homegrowns don't count against the salary cap, that's a way to add quality to your roster that doesn't hit you on the cap. So salary cap and promotion relegation, not relevant. Salary cap prevents super teams, okay? Promotion relegation is not even have anything to do with that. So that's two different discussions. But to the point you said about, I want to talk about quality. Pete, can I add one thing to what you're saying? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Because people will counter you by saying, I, I heard this argument before. They'll go and they'll tell you, but listen, you can't cap investment when you're adding risk to it, right? When you put a relegation, you're adding risk to it. So how are you going to tell these owners that if you add relegation, you're going to cap their spending? Well, it's very simple. As long as the salary cap is the same for everyone, nothing changes. You can still invest. You can be smart about it. You can invest more money into your academy and have the homegrown rules that they don't count. You have better young players. It's really becomes a, a, a battle of competence because Essentially, what happens from what you were describing, when you have a bunch of billionaires spending billions of dollars there in these clubs, it kind of becomes like what F1 was many, many years. I don't know if it still is, but it kind of was many, many years ago, and it might still be. The one that would win wouldn't really be sometimes the best, you know, like driver. It would be whoever has the best car because yeah. the, the the brand or the company has more money. And that's essentially what happens when you have no restrictions. Usually the teams that just pour in more money, eventually they might suck one year, but eventually they just become the best. They just keep buying the best players. So I agree with you. You can add relegation and put a salary cap, put it higher. That's going to just benefit teams that are competent, that are good. Yeah. Also, you invest in good. It it will reward competence. It will reward people with good front offices, good GMs who can scout, who can sign players, good coaches who can get the most out of their salary cap players. But to your point, you were talking about the players um, that go to Scotland, for example. Yeah, and it's not just Scotland, right? These comments from Luca De La Torre are not new. We've heard this from James Sands. We've heard this from Reggie Cannon. We've heard this from Tanner Tessman. Busio. Busio has said this. Multiple guys that have gone to Europe. And by the way, many of them went to non-top five league teams. What do they always talk about? The intensity, right? And I think we have to talk about quality versus intensity because Okay, take the top seven or eight leagues of Europe out. Okay, the top five plus, say, Portugal and Holland, those seven. We know those seven are better than MLS in terms of quality, even the championship, I would say. But the other below that, whether it's Scotland or whether it's Austria or whether it's Belgium or even the second division, they don't maybe have the same level of quality as MLS or similar, depending on your opinion. But what they have is intensity. And there's a difference between quality of play on the field and intensity, right? Intensity will mean we're not going to let the six turn with the ball and have lots of time and space to play a ball forward. Okay. You see that in MLS all the time. The six receives the ball. Nobody's pressing him. He's got so much time and space on the ball just because there's a lack of intensity. Now he might be a good six, but you put that same six in Scotland and now he's got no time and space on the ball because they're going to make sure that he can't turn on the ball and play it forward because they want to stop them before it becomes dangerous, right? 
they want to stop play higher up the field. The lack of time and space is not directly related to quality. For me, it's more about intensity, right? You, you up the intensity, you make the stakes matter. There's more pressure, for example, right? If you know, if you lose this game, you're in the relegation zone and fans are going to be furious and there's going to be media talking about you and, and your poor performances, that plays on your mind during salary the Salary cut, salary cuts. Might be salary cuts, right? You might lose your job. All of these things play on your mind and affect how you play. Right. Whereas in MLS, you can have a, a, a stinker of a game and fans in the parking lot will want to take pictures with you. You know what I mean? So just the level of pressure and intensity. And we've seen guys like Chris Mueller and James Sands go to Scotland and they were very good MLS players. Right. Chris Mueller was being touted as a national team player after playing for Orlando and in Camp Cupcake. James Sands was one of the best players for New York City FC when they won MLS Cup. You know, and there are other examples of like, Paul Ariola and Jordan Morris going to the championship, which in my opinion, in terms of quality is still better than MLS, but in terms of intensity, it's significantly better than MLS. And they struggled to perform there. That's just the truth, right? Why does Gianluca Busio go to the Italian second division and struggle to, to perform in terms of quality? It's better than sporting. K I mean, it's worse than sporting KC probably. Right. And he was pretty I think successful. It is. MLS is probably better. No, I think I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure MLS is better than the Italian second division. Yeah, I agree with you. So so why is he struggling? Because he was decent to good in MLS, right? He was very why good. Why is he struggling? Uh, because it's more intense, right? That, that's the main main thing that we talk about, intensity. Uh, it's something MLS does lack. But people are also going to use examples from Scotland. What about Christian Ramirez? Well, Christian Ramirez had like one good season in Scotland. He also had one good season in MLS, right? Yeah. Right. So I think, he's back now, isn't he? I think so. Well, the good season he had, I think, was with Minnesota a few years ago. And he had one good season, one kind of good season in Scotland. He had like a hot streak and then he didn't do anything after that. So um, he's not a good example. It, it, it's really just the intensity because what happens is you can be a player with enough quality, like more quality than most players in that league from a technical standpoint. But if you can't do it under pressure, if you can't do it in tight spaces, if you can't do it with someone that's on you, biting you, it doesn't work. Now, the thing with promotion, we talked about that too. When you have promotion relegation, the community embraces more, the fan base also, there's more passion, there's more storylines. People start to care more. And you also get these clubs, right? These clubs that will come down from, you know, from the bottom of your pyramid of your soccer that will not have as much money. So maybe they'll invest in developing soccer locally, get more scouts, get young players. And that's how you make the game more popular. That's how it grows. And then people are going to use the example of other sporting leagues in the U.S., which is the most ridiculous thing possible, which we're the best league in the world in basketball. We're the only league in the world that plays football. Um, we're the best league in the world in baseball. We're the best league in the world in hockey. So in our college system for those sports, we are also the best in the world. So when you get a draft pick, sometimes you go to the draft and you get a LeBron James. Yeah. And it changes your MLS. When you go to the draft, you rarely, rarely get a player that's useful to your team. Right. So, uh, but just, anymore. just, I think the question overall here, these comments is Luca De La Torre a Euro snob or not? If, if, if by Euro snob, your definition is, he recognizes the fundamental difference between a league with pressure and intensity that forces you to be at your A game every single game, every single training session, uh, compared to a league where there's really no consequences for being mediocre, then 
Yes. <laughs> Depends how you define a Euro snob. I mean, I think he's right, but it's the other thing you talk about basketball and, and, and baseball and all these leagues. I hear people complaining all the time that the regular season in the NBA doesn't matter that much or that the regular season in baseball in, uh, what's the name of the league? Um, major league baseball, major league baseball doesn't matter. It's boring. And that doesn't really get interesting until the playoffs. Like MLS playoffs are fun, right? There's there's stakes. Remember Dallas last year versus Houston, Dallas Mm -hmm. versus, was it Cincinnati? Like New York Red Bulls versus Cincinnati, the LA dark. It was fun because there were stakes. You lose, you go home, right? And the reason that they are expanding these playoffs, I think, is because they're trying to give you as many games as possible for gate revenue, tickets and merch, and also to get on TV, right? They're trying to get as many clubs, as much money as possible. And it's like, yeah, it's true. If you're 10, 12, 15 points off the playoffs with six games left, Sure, your games don't matter. This is where promotion relegation becomes fun. Because at the top, you have teams fighting to be in the playoffs. Let's say you had the top six made the playoffs in each conference. So 12 out of 29, which is still a lot. And then at the bottom, maybe the bottom team from each conference gets relegated. You don't want to be that bottom team. So you still have something to fight for at the bottom. And you still give people a reason to care. But when you don't have that, you have to give them a reason to care. You have to always give them the possibility that they could still sneak into the playoffs, even if they have nine well, points all season. Well, Pete, look at it this way. We saw last weekend, uh, two week, was it last weekend? Last week, Everton defeated Arsenal 1-0. Everton's fighting against relegation, right? I'm not saying that doesn't happen in MLS. It does happen, that bottom teams. But you're much more likely to see that on a team that's fighting against promotion, fight, fighting against relegation to beat a top team or get a result. Because even though they're in last, they still care. Now, if you don't have anything to care about and you're facing a top team, why do you care that much? You're like, man, if I, I win, I win. If I don't, I don't. My opinion is Luca Del Torre is not a Euro snob. I do think the part where he says they're two different sports is a little bit too harsh. Um, because it isn't two different sports. It's the same sport. Uh, and it does kind of like make it seem like it, it does make it seem like he's saying that MLS is not serious or MLS is um, a joke. It does sound a little bit that way. And I can see it triggering people. I don't know exactly what he meant with those words. Maybe it's just the way he expresses himself. But I don't think he's a Euro snob. The, his overall point, when you look at the overall point, it makes sense. Yeah. I think that might have been a little bit of hyperbole there, but he also had some other comments that I wanted to address here because mm-hmm. I thought they were interesting comments. One was about La Liga. Okay, first of all, he talked about growing up in San Diego. Okay, and this this has to do with player development. He said, growing up in San Diego, I was the only white guy in my teams. Other players were all Mexican, right? He was not developed in the club suburban system. He was developed playing in parks and on the streets with Hispanic players, like, and as somebody who lives in LA and has been to San Diego many times, I can tell you that's true. You go Sunday morning in the park, it's all Hispanic and Mexican players playing soccer, kids playing with their dads. It encourages technical development because they want to have the ball. They want to keep the ball. There's not, there isn't this pressure to win, first of all, and there isn't this pressure to like put the big kids up top and lump the ball over the top and let them chase it down and we'll score a goal that way, right? So it's just an interesting thought about player development and something that I've seen in SoCal and I'm sure is very present all over the United States. The other thing he said is the player in, the players in Spain are much better than anywhere else I've been. So let's talk real quick. Where has he been? He's been to Fulham, okay, in their academy. He's mm-hmm. been to the Eredivisie and he's been to La Liga. 
They have more technique and physique. In general, people say La Liga is more technical but less physical than the Premier League or the Bundesliga, but it's not like that. Here, as soon as you have the ball, defenders try to foul you to stop the play. That's why players are very good, both technically and tactically. The level is very high. Tack, I want to get your thoughts on this as he's comparing some top leagues in the world. Yeah, so first things first, he plays for La Liga, so he's obviously going to speak highly of it or a bit higher than normal. There's a little bit of a bias there, but there's a lot of truth to what he said as well. La Liga is arguably the second best league in the world. Uh, it's most certainly the league that has been more the most successful in terms of Champions League the past, what, 10 years easily with Barcelona. And Europa Leagues too. And Europa League with Sevilla and Atletico Madrid too. Very successful. I think I think they won what? Like they won at least six or seven Champions League the past 10 years or 12 years. And Europa League, they won at least three or four. So it's been a very successful league in terms of that. I do think the Premier League overall has more quality when you look into all 20 teams. I think the La Liga is very top-heavy. That's why you always see Barcelona or Real Madrid winning the league and occasionally Atletico Madrid winning, even though people are going to come at me and say that Manchester City has also kind of dominated the Premier League the past decade. Nevertheless, he is right. The, The league, I do think you have a lot of space sometimes in La Liga, and I do watch La Liga quite a bit, but I don't watch it every weekend. I, I mainly watch, I love watching Real Madrid. I think you know that. I've talked to you about it before. I do like watching Real Madrid. I've done it for a while. I you do think some Brazilians to track there. Yeah, I like watching Vinicius, Rodrigo, um, Endrick will be there very soon. I uh, used to like watching Casemiro there too, Modric. I love Modric. Uh, but, but the thing with La Liga that I noticed too is very often I see Vinicius with a lot of space. A lot of the teams play a high line. That's one thing I noticed too. There's not many bunkering teams like Diego. That's why Diego Simeone gets so much shit in La Liga, because he has one of the best teams. Right. But he is willing to bunker. But you see a lot of the teams, not many bunkering teams in La Liga. So there's a lot of space. So if you're an attacking player, you're going to get more goals. And I guess that did help boost Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo over the years, too, as good as they are. Okay, guys, I'm not getting into the Messi-Ronaldo debate here. But La Liga is, um, I don't want to, I wanted to say a striker's league, like a forward's league. It, it sort of is. There is that. But it's not because of lack of um, intensity. It's not because of lack of defending or physicality. It's very physical. It's very tough. I see Vinicius Jr. playing. He gets hammered every game. It's horrible. But, but the, the, the overall point I'm trying to make is what Luca Del Torre is saying is somewhat true. It is true. It is a very physical league. Uh, anyone that watches it would know. And I know a lot of our viewers do watch La Liga. Uh, that, that, those are my thoughts on it. Uh, in regards to some of it, I do believe there's a little bit of bias from his end. I don't think it's more physical than the Premier League from what I watch, right? I don't think it's more physical than, than the Premier League. And I guess over, the, the main difference is in the Premier League, you see more soccer terrorists, right? That will bunker and play ugly soccer. La Liga... You don't see that as much outside of like Simeone and a few. That's what I've noticed at least. What I think is something that we don't discuss a lot in this debate is the style of play. In England, it seems to me that they play at one speed. And that's a very high, very intense speed, right? Whereas in Spain, it does seem like they they change rhythms during the game. They know how to slow down the game a little bit more. It's probably a little bit more tactical where they slow down the game and they sort of lull opponents into a false sense of security. And maybe in those times, they have some more space, but then quickly they know how to change the rhythm or the tempo, and then all of a sudden catch you napping. 
Whereas I think England is like, go, 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 tempo, tempo, tempo. It's always played at a very high speed, which is very difficult to play. And of course, but you're right. There's a lot more bunker ball by the lower, you know, the lower division teams in England than you do see in Spain. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think Luca De La Torre is right. He's sharing his opinion, but I do think it's, it's an interesting comments about how people see La Liga as only being technical and not a physical league. And I actually disagree. I think La Liga is better than Germany in terms of physicality. Right? I think they really don't give you time and space than, than you see in the Bundesliga. And just what we were talking about before, out of the last 10 Champions Leagues, Spanish teams have won five of them. Half. And out of the 20 teams that were in those finals, seven of them were from Spain, right? Because Atletico Madrid has been to two finals, even though they didn't win them. So it isn't just Real Madrid, Barcelona as well, obviously. In the Europa League, out of the last 10 winners in the Europa League, five of them were from Spain, mostly Sevilla, but also Villarreal, right? So and they've gotten half of each. So half of the last 10 years came out of Spain and between Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, and Villarreal. So it's not just one team, right? So I think he has a point. I think La Liga is probably the second best league in the world after, after the Premier League. I think that Germany has fallen off just because of lack of spending. I think the Bundesliga used to be a lot better but the lack of spending has made it difficult, right? They can't hold on to players. We've seen this with challengers like Leipzig or with uh, Dortmund who develop great players, but can't hold on to them in the long term just because of a lack of money. Yeah, and Italy, don't even get started on Italy. You know, the decline of Italian football over the last 10, 20 years has been phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I guess Italy, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Italy may, had a lot of money with, through corruption in the, the mafia too in the 90s or something like that. That's why there was so much money pouring into Italy. Uh, and that has broken down the past few decades. Like a lot of guys went to prison, if I'm not mistaken, too. Italy. Italy is a different discussion. But Pete, quick word from our sponsor before we move on here. And thank you very much, DraftKings Sportsbook, for sponsoring this podcast one again, once again, especially this summer, with tons of ways to bet on all of your favorite sports. You can fuel your random fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That has increased. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. So download now DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code TBPN. That is TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000 with the promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Thank you very much for sponsoring the podcast. And Pete, I don't know why they're already talking about the summer, man. We're still in February. Yeah, they're getting you ready. They're getting you ready for summer. Oh, boy. Um, next topic we're going to talk about is Jesse Marsh to Southampton. And Tack, you claimed, at least, that you broke this news. You have some, some inside info to share with us. Do you want to go ahead and share that? And then we'll talk about the possibility. Yeah, yeah, I can't really say who, who told me because the person that told me told me not to tell. So again, so you guys can take my word or not for it. Nevertheless, two days, was it two days ago or yesterday? Uh, someone told me that Jesse Marsh had a meeting with Southampton scheduled for this Monday, to which I just tweeted out. I mean, it's a person I, tr I trusted of what they were giving me. It, it sounded reasonable and they, they told me about it and I just put it out there. Once I put it out there, obviously... People were calling me fake news and all that. That's what I always get. 
But but a little bit later, The Athletic reported something similar. And today, The Guardian reported something similar as well. Not exactly the same, but similar, which shows that what I said was true. And even a guy from The Athletic reached out to me and said, hey, good reporting there. It is it is true. So Jesse Marsh did have a meeting with um, Southampton apparently today, Monday. We're, we record this on Monday. Um, and they're in last place in the English Premier League, a team that's usually actually pretty good. They're usually pretty good in the Premier League, mid-table, sometimes even top 10. But they're in, they're in Jesse, apparently, um, maybe by the time you guys are listening it, they've already signed someone else or signed Jesse Marsh. We don't know. Uh, but it looked like, from what I was told, once again, is that they actually met with him already with an offer. And the only discussion they were having, which I don't know the exact numbers or anything, was in terms of the length of the contract. That that looks like that's where they weren't agreeing. Uh but uh, the offer exists. It looks like Southampton wants Jesse Marsh, and it's been an interest that's been going on for a while. They saw the opportunity. And then it begs the question, regardless of Southampton, would this be the right move for Jesse right now? I think it depends. It depends on what's the deal. If the deal is, here's a three-and-a-half-year contract, but it depends on can we get out of relegation, right? Because right now, Southampton are last in the table right? They are four points clear of the, not four points, they're four points away from being clear of the relegation zone, right? Leeds are the 17th right now and four points ahead of Southampton. So they're an even worse place than Leeds is. And Jesse Marsh did rescue, for all of his faults, he rescued Leeds from relegation last year. So they're probably thinking, and, and not just that, they play a similar style to Leeds, right? Maybe not exactly like it, but they do have a lot of pressing, a lot of intensity, so maybe they think he fits our style. He knows how to motivate players in the short term, right? And that is something that Jesse is pretty good at. We saw him get those Leeds players out of the doldrums they were in toward the end of the Bielsa reign and kind of get them, you know, not just motivated, but ready to go play and rescue themselves from relegation, which he did do. Now, Jesse has his eye on the national team job. I'm 100% sure of that. I don't think Jesse, I know he said when he was coaching Leeds, he's not interested in the national team job. Look, he was pandering to Leeds media. He's also said before that it'd be very hard to say no if the national team came calling. I think that if Jesse says, listen, I'll take you out of relegation and then we can talk, right? Or maybe it is, it's a three and a half year contract provided I rescue you from relegation, but also I need a clause in there saying that if the U.S. men's national team comes calling, I want to go. I'm allowed to take that job. If he does that, then it's a great move for Jesse because he still gets to work for the rest of the year. And let's be, let's face it. It's the summer after the sporting director is appointed that they'll be looking at national team coaches, which for me is way too long. I still think this whole bullshit eight month process to find a new coach is ridiculous. Mexico has already found a new coach. Last time it got us Burhalter. Last time after a full year, a full year last time, we're, we got Burhalter. And no, it was over a year, wasn't it? Well, it was, uh, he was technically, it was, a, it was a year of Sarah Chan in charge. Almost. Yeah. So what happened was in October, we lost to Trinidad and Tobago. That was Cuba. And then Bruce Arena resigned. Then they appointed Dave Sarakin. And then they appointed Burhalter in August, technically in okay. August, but he was allowed to finish the season with Columbus Crew while Sarakin played friendlies with the team. And then he didn't really take over till January. So about a year and two months. This idea that you need a whole year to find a coach is nobody in the world does this. Nobody. We are the only team in, in the world that is now going to do this twice. It might not be a full year. It might be eight months. That's still too long. It's still too long. I'm sorry. I, I don't agree. People are saying, oh, you know, but if we get a really good coach in the summer, 
then it's worth waiting for. What makes you think we're going to get a good coach in the summer? Like not that many teams fire coaches in the summer. They fire coaches mid season when things are going poorly. I don't think, I don't have the data here, but I'm pretty sure from years of following, you know, football in Europe, I haven't seen a significant amount of departures in the summer as I have during the season. So look, if they go in the summer and they get Pochettino, great. First of all, Pochettino's free right now, so I don't know why you would need to wait. But I don't believe that they're doing this to get the best possible option. I don't. I just think they're incompetent and they take too long to appoint sporting directors and hire coaches. And it's the only team in the world that, that waits this long. Can you think of any other team that waits this long? I mean, Brazil's waiting this time, but Brazil has their eye on Ancelotti. That's been quite clear. They want, he's going to finish the season with Real Madrid, but th that, that's been pretty clear. Uh, they want, then. yeah, they want Ancelotti, or apparently they talked about Fernando Geniz that's also employed in Brazil. So they're waiting on that. But Brazil's going to, Brazil pretty much doesn't have a coach right now, but they've established, they said by the summer, we will have one. They've already kind of said that, right? They have a timeline. The US right now, it's sort of, we could have one this year. It could be next year. We don't know. We're 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 gonna hire a sporting director and we'll figure it out. But it's also, like, Brazil also, doesn't have competitive games right now, right? No, just next next year, just friendlies this year. Yeah, so that's one thing. We have two competitive tournaments. We have the Nations League and we have Gold Cup. So this idea that you can just afford to win, I don't I don't buy this at all, Tack. But back to Jesse Marsh. Yeah, I think it depends on the deal. If it's a full three and a half year deal that he can't get out of, then I don't think it's a good deal for him because A, what if, I mean, if the US comes calling, then they would have to pay his buyout clause, right? Most coaches have a buyout clause. They usually have to buy out their contract. So I don't, it just depends on the terms of the deal. In terms of, can he rescue them from relegation? Maybe, maybe. I think it's going to be tough. I mean, they're four points behind leads. So I don't know if it's going to be that easy to rescue Southampton from relegation right now. They're kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I think with Jesse, and since what I was told, and we're going to go based on what I was told and, and assume it's all 100% real, it kind of makes sense that their disagreement would be the contract length, right? Because maybe Jesse just says, hey, um, let's sign a a deal till the end of the season. I try to spark something out of this, but I kind of want to be free during the summer because the U.S. is doing this hiring process and I might be an option. I want to be free or a option clause of renewing it that I can activate. That might be the disagreement. It seems like Jesse probably wants the national team and he doesn't want to not be in the national team to take over Southampton, which he could be in the second division next year, even if they keep him. Let's say they tell him, no, Jesse, even if we get relegated, we'll keep you. But what if he misses out on the national team and then he's coaching the second division of England? It might not be worth it. It's a bit, there's levels to it, right? right? If Fulham came up to him instead of the national team, that's a bit different because Fulham is fighting for an Europa League spot. It's a team that will be in the Premier League. There's a difference right there. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a tricky one because, and I'm sure this is messing with Jesse Marsh's head because, like you said, we're 100% sure he, he has his eye on this national team job. And we're, I'm, Pretty sure he wasn't expecting to get a Premier League call right now. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure he was like, all right, I'm going to take a few months off or figure it out. Let's wait for the U.S. and then I'll see it from there. And then a club just comes up to him. And also a club in a very tough situation, right? He's not guaranteed to stay in the Premier League in a much tougher situation than Leeds was when he took over last year. Much tougher situation with players that, I mean, not his signings. It's a tough one for Jesse, and he, he has to be careful, too, to see if he's not setting himself to fail once again because he has the Leipzig, 
uh, resume that wasn't good. Leeds, that wasn't good right now. And then now, if he goes to Southampton, even though we know it's not his fault if they get relegated because he's already come in, he's still going to be the coach yeah. that was relegated with them, right? That even though we know. potentially seal his fate in terms of jobs. Exactly. And it's not his fault that they're getting relegated. So he could be setting himself up to fail right here. Um, I'd be careful if I were him. I do understand that also there's money involved, so maybe the salary will be good. I also do understand that it is still a Premier League job, and it's hard to say no, um, but it, it's a tough one um, for Jesse, right? Yeah. Tack, let's talk VAR. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of controversy going on. There's been ever since the VAR was created, right? Most recently, and I find this one funny because it's um, John Brooks has been replaced as the VAR for Liverpool versus Everton and Arsenal versus Manchester City this week after incorrect after he incorrectly ruled out Pervizes Stupinan's goal for Brighton versus Crystal Palace um, on Saturday. Okay. So why did I read this news? One, because it says John Brooks, and I just think it's funny because we have a player named John Brooks, and that is not the player John Brooks, but mainly because we see news like this almost every weekend right now, every week. There's a mistake from the VAR. Um, there was also the handball of Chelsea versus, uh, who are they playing again? Um, West Ham? No, West yeah, Ham, West Ham. Yeah. West Ham, yeah. yeah. The handball, which personally, I agreed more with the VAR. A lot of, it was a handball in the box, but I just thought the motion of the player was a regular tackle and his arm happened to be there. He has to land somehow. Uh, some people disagree with that. I know you, I think you just, or you were asking, I don't know if you disagreed or you From asked. From my perspective, it's still a handball in the box. I know, I know there's a lot of different discussions around intention, natural placement of the arm. Did it even hit his arm? Was it really more his knee? From what I saw, it was pretty, pretty much a handball. Now, if you want to discuss intention and placement of arm, I think there's room for discussion there, like natural position of the arm. That, I think that's more appropriate, but it's still a handball for me. Yeah, to me, it did hit his ball. Uh, <laughs> it did hit his ball. To me, it did hit his hand. The ball hit his hand. Uh, but, but but what I was seeing in the play was clearly his motion of tackle was to actually tackle the ball. And he's falling with his arm there to like lean on it. And then it hits it. It does also look like he sorted though, but it's not like he dove like a goalkeeper to save it. So it's debatable. Nevertheless, the, the thing with the VAR is a lot of people complain saying that it ruined the game, that it makes way too many mistakes. And before I give my take, and I'm not trying to use you here, Pete, I promise. I want to hear your take on the VAR. Are, are you for it? Are you against it? Did you prefer the game the way it was before? Or do you prefer it now? Even though the VAR does make mistakes, it does also get most things right. Yeah, I think that's how you have to look at it. Is it a net positive? Is it a net success? And I think the answer is yes. Nothing is perfect. You're not going to get a perfect world where 100% of decisions are always right. But I will say, if you compare referees before VAR and the amount of things they got wrong, like we talk a lot about VAR's mistakes, but we don't talk a lot about the successes because it's non-dramatic, right? The, an offside call, they review the goal, it's not offside. Ref gives a penalty, he reviews it on VAR, oh, it's actually not a penalty. That happens every week, week in and week out, where they get a lot of things right. Sure, they get some things wrong, and that doesn't mean they shouldn't strive to get more right. I think having quote-unquote punishments like this for John Brooks, where he's pulled off the game, is I mean, off of the VAR, is good because you do want to keep as high a standard as you possibly can. But soccer is a game of passion, and if you get a VAR decision wrong against your team, it's like we talked about earlier, every moment in these games matters. So you're going to feel very aggrieved, and you're going to be very angry. But it doesn't change the fact that I feel 
that VAR has mostly gotten things right. And yeah, they need to keep working to make sure it's as effective as it can be. And there are questionable decisions that you have to look into. But I think that VAR has been a net positive. That's really my take on it. I think the VAR is one of the best things to ever happen to soccer. I think a lot I think a lot of people that don't like it are probably very young and they don't remember how many blatant mistakes we used to have in the game. Go back to yeah. the 20, 2010 World Cup, Frank Lampard. I was just it. thinking about that. Yeah, he, he that goal would have made the game 2-2 at the time against Germany in the round of 16, I think. Yeah. The English well, was that more goal line technology than VAR? Well, it, it, yeah, I guess it's goal line technology, but let's say the goal line technology didn't exist or anything. It didn't exist. The VAR right. would have called the ref and said, that went in, man. That went yeah. in. That was a goal. Uh, if you go back, um, and you can go to England once again, when they beat it, defeated Trinidad and Tobago, Peter Crouch pulled the defender's hair when he scored that header in the World Cup. Yeah, The VAR would have called that. And, and I'm just giving two examples that came from the top of my head right here. But there used to be so many mistakes that you to ju- used to just get by. And that's it. So many offsides. Um, and the VAR makes mistakes. And when it makes mistakes, it's scandalous. People freak out about it. They go crazy right. about it. But they completely forget. when. And look, I'm, I'm okay with people freaking out about it. Like you said, it's a game of passion. And if there's a mistake, the one that made a mistake has to be held accountable and he has to improve. But the calls for VAR ruined the game. VAR is this. VAR is one of the greatest things to happen to this game. And I understand some people are saying, oh, it takes away the magic of the goal when he scores and they have to wait for the VAR. No, it doesn't. You still celebrate no. it. It's, yeah, I, I don't see a difference. I don't see a difference there either. So sometimes you do get bummed out because the goal gets taken away. But that happened before too. Sometimes you would score and the, you would see the flag up later. I personally think that criticism on the VAR is worth it and it should continue because it has to improve and it is improving slowly. It used to be more, it used to be far sloppier when it started. Now it's much better and it's going to continue to improve, but it's one of the best things to happen. I think people just forgot how many blatant mistakes we had to deal with. And sometimes it was against my team. And, and I remember Palmeiras happening before Manchester United. Well, Manchester United used to be helped at the Fergie time, right? Quite a bit, but um, it, 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 I think it's people that don't want the VAR to stay. They, they need to do a lot of rethink. It's one of the greatest things that happened to the game. But again, keep criticizing when it happens. Like you said, John Brooks, um, not the player, the, the ref, he messed up. He messed up. Fix that. And I think it will over time. And eventually, we're just going to embrace it fully. But it's been a controversial topic. I don't really know why. Well, and it's it will never be perfect, 100%, because it's run by human beings. And there's always room for, for human error. But the percentage of decisions that it gets right is still significantly greater than the percentage of decisions that referees and linesmen got right on their own. I mean, while we're talking about incidents, Nigel de Jong goes studs up into Andres Iniesta in Mm -hmm. the World Cup final. That would be a VAR red card, right? That would have changed the game dramatically to send Nigel de Jong off. Referee didn't see it. So game goes on. Like there are so many things that happened in the past. Either the referee didn't see or weren't caught. I mean, how we have Jose Mourinho complaining about the ball crossing the line in a Champions League semifinal when he was coaching Real Madrid against, uh, I believe, or Chelsea, I believe it was against Barcelona and saying that, you know, Barcelona, you know, because of their deal with UEFA and the United Nations or whatever it was, like there were so many egregious decisions that VAR wasn't there for. And now well, it, I like that you brought up Nigel de Jong one because one thing I remember too is in 2006 when Zinedine Zidane headbutted Materazzi, the ref didn't see it. 
and no ref did. No one did. You remember? You know the story, right? The fourth ref saw it on the 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 big screen, right? He saw it at the stadium. It showed, and the fans saw it, and the fourth ref saw it. So technically, he kind of used the VAR there, right? It was kind of like a VAR. Yeah. And then he called <laughs> the ref the and VAR. And then he called the ref and said, you got to give Zidane a red card. If he had not seen that, Zinedine Zidane could have gone on to the game, won the game, lifted the World Cup trophy after he headbutted Materazzi in the middle of the game. Again, the VAR would have stopped that, even if the ref didn't see it on the screen on accident, by the way, because normally he wouldn't. And it was an accident that they showed it, too, because normally they don't show that. And they showed it, and it, it, it kind of saved that final because the last thing you'd want is a guy that, you know, did something violent to be the, the guy lifting the trophy, yeah. Uh, no matter how good he is. And again, I think there's nothing controversial about the VAR. That's the thing. That's why I don't get it. There's nothing controversial. It makes mistakes. Like you said, it's humans, so it makes mistakes. But the number of mistakes went down drastically, so people should embrace it more and just hope it gets better and better over time. But there's nothing controversial about it. Stop. Just like we need to there stop. There are controversial decisions within a, a mostly successful system. I Which say. have always been in soccer. It's been even worse in the past. Yeah, way worse. So I guess this wraps things up here for this podcast. Hopefully, if you guys listen all the way through to the end, you can drop a review. Thank you very much for listening. Pete, you want to close it? Yeah, thanks as always, guys. If you can give us a rating, give us a review. If you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, it really helps people to find us. Share it with your friends. If you have a friend who's into soccer, recommend this podcast to them. It helps it to grow. We appreciate you guys for listening. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.